Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Is it really true? Is the resurrection story really true? Is it believable? Is it plausible? Is Jesus really alive today? Or is that just a myth, an old, an old story passed down from generation to generation? Is there a life after this one? Or is this it? If we listen to the academics of Jesus' day, they would say, that's it. There is no life after this one. In fact, Jesus didn't arise. He was stolen. His body was stolen. If you listen to academics of our day, they would also say, that story is not believable. You Christians, go ahead and follow along after that if you like, but that story is not believable. It just can't be true. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 27. We're going to look at this account at the end of chapter 27 and through chapter 28 together. It's rather rather lengthy reading compared to what we usually read on Sundays, but I want you to follow along. If you have your Bibles turned there, if not, the text is going to be on the screen. But I want you to see this story unfold and how this... this uh, Deception was put in place. Chapter 27, verse 62 says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. We'll catch that last text in just a moment. Three things today I want us to see from this text that jump out to me, that are obvious to me as we talk about resurrected things in view of 
what has been stolen away. First, I want us to see the value of a resurrected promise. The value of a resurrected promise. Look at verses 62 to 65, again from chapter 27. The next day, one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body, tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last, last deception will be worse than the first. That deceiver said, see that phrase? That deceiver said, these were supposed men of faith and men of academia. The Pharisees were, were the college professors of their, of their day. So these academics and, and, and priests uh, are attempting to steal away his promised resurrection. Watch this by guarding a dead man. Did you catch that? They want to create a story of deception by guarding a dead man. Now, who in the right mind would order a dead man to be guarded? Well, one who actually believed what he said may be true, may be coming true. And notice that they're blaming their fears on the deception of his followers, their fears for his followers. wonder what has fear caused you to do. Has fear caused you to buy a dozen roses before you go home? I wonder if fear has caused you to rally the support of your friends. I wonder if it's ever caused, caused us to spread rumors or gossip about our adversaries. We're stealing honesty, if so, and living a lie. The, these guys' platform, their notoriety was being threatened. They couldn't have that. They were afraid of losing it. And we sometimes get in the same place when we find ourselves positioned around a lie. We get desperate because the lies have to continue to keep our position around the lie. And we wonder, who, who have I told this to? Who have I told that to? What do they know? What does he know? What does she know? And we find ourselves having to manipulate a lie to keep our, our image, we believe at least, intact. But the value of a resurrected promise is true. Second thing I want us to see the value of is the value of a resurrected truth. A value of a resurrected truth. Look at verses 11 to 15 together of chapter 28. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and, watch this, had devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him, keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. These government soldiers went to the church seeking to know the truth and to tell the truth. Quick side note, did you know that Hitler in, in World War II instructed his pilots as they would invade a city, the next city to be invaded, the first target was, was church. He instructed his pilots to bomb the church knowing that, or believing at least, that if I can steal away their faith, I'll steal away their drive. If I steal away their faith and their drive, I've got them where I want them. These soldiers went to the church seeking to tell the truth and to know the truth, and what they met instead were lies, and more lies, and more deception, by the religious leaders of their day, the, the, the pastors of their day. They devised a plan, he says, here to make themselves look good. Notice this. When either our behavior or our belief is misguided, 
we play right into the enemy's hands every time because the enemy is the master of the father, the scripture says, of every lie. And when we find ourselves cooking up deception, we're playing into the hands of the enemy. Uh, he's, he is good at it. He's crafty at it. Uh, all, all lies originate from him, John 8, says. And when we find ourselves with a self-serving faith, meaning my truth trumps the truth, when we find ourselves in a self-serving position of what I know to be true is more important than what, what perhaps may be absolutely true. In fact, last Sunday night we looked at this, this uh, film, Nothing But the Truth, and saw again and again and again absolute truth over and over and over again that's undeniable, whether we choose to believe it or not. But when we find ourselves uh, with a self-serving faith, he will, he will allow the enemy to sift us like wheat says that in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, I hear God speaking to me like that all the time. Do you? In fact, as I read, Simon, Simon, I, 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 I hear that often. The Lord saying, Tim, Tim, come on, get this. I think that's, that's the context of what he said. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat, but I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, to, 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 to curry, uh, scurry through your life, to find lie after lie after lie, and hold you in bondage to those lies forever if he can. Uh, when, that, uh, when that occurs, we're about to be exposed and we get desperate. We start redefining truth, as I said earlier. Uh, it's, it's much easier in the long run just to tell the truth and just let it lie where it lies. It, it, it makes me look good or bad. It makes me look good or bad. But it's, it's much easier in the long run to tell the truth than, than to wonder, what does she know? What does he know? What have I told to her or to him or to them? Uh, just to tell the truth, because the truth is as the saying says, we'll stand when the world's on fire, and the world's going to be on fire one of these days, and the truth will stand. The value of a resurrected promise, the value of a resurrected truth, but thirdly, I want us to see the value of a resurrected story. The value of a resurrected story. Look at verses 16 through the end of the chapter 28. Now, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So his last words here in this resurrected story was, Go. Go and tell. Go and make disciples. And what's a disciple? A disciple is a, is, a, is a learner, but beyond a learner, a learner that's invested, a learner that believes that what he's being taught is true enough to invest himself and his life and his livelihood in what he's being told to be true. So go, he says, go and, go and encourage, go and pray, go and show, go and tell, go and, and share the story. Tell them what I've told you, he says there in verse 20. In essence, reproduce yourselves. Make little use out of other people that you come in contact with. Tell your story. Uh, tell, tell, tell them the story of the gospel and how that gospel story has changed your story and how that change has brought about eternal difference for you and can 
do the same thing for them. The Easter story is the greatest story of victory ever told. Why? Because he's alive today. And because he's alive today, you can be alive today too. He wins, and if he wins, we win. And when we know we've won, it ought to make all the difference in the world. There's a tomb somewhere with Muhammad's bones in it. There's a tomb somewhere with Buddha's bones in it. You pick, you pick the, the, the item or the, or the focus of worship from any context, and that leader is, has a tomb full of dead man's bones. The borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea is empty today with no bones in it because Jesus is alive and in this room and in your hearts and in mine. If you believe that, it ought to make a difference in how we live and how we communicate with others and how we come across to others, uh, how, we are, how, how we position ourselves in terms of relationships that, that should matter and some that shouldn't. Now, though we're worshiping at the feet of, of knowledge, the knowledge of science, which isn't evil, the knowledge of scientists, which aren't evil as well. In fact, one of the growing, fastest growing religions in, in America is, is the religion of Scientology, which... Let me be kind and say it's a bunch of junk. Let me just, that's as kind as I know how to put it to you. But we're, we're, we're finding other religions, other things to worship, uh, science and, and Scientology, the earth itself, rather than the earth... Uh, being for man to have dominion over, as he told Adam and Eve in the scripture, earth has now dominion over us, instead of the other way around. Um, but the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, and chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, this, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom from among the mature, but not of the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare, watch this, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God did, uh, destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For the wisdom of this, of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Uh, all knowledge that can be known, whether by way of science, academia, all knowledge that can be known can fit in a thimble compared to the knowledge of God. In essence, this is what he's saying in these verses. Uh, we need to reprioritize ourselves around a resurrected promise, a resurrected truth, and a resurrected story. Because the enemy will choose to, if he can, in our hearts and in our minds, steal those truths away day after day, year after year. Ever been violated? Ever had something stolen? Uh, within fairly close proximity of each other, uh, Hannah had a bicycle stolen off of our front porch. And then several months later, she was supposed to put it in the backyard behind the fence, in, or the locked fence where we have a dog to protect the bikes. But we put it on the porch. It's probably my fault. I probably told her to put it on the porch in the first place. But anyway, it was on the porch, front porch and got stolen. Come out and discover it gone the next day. Dad, where's my bike? It's gone, honey. I, I had a Jeep stolen several months after that. And I, it, it, it just, if that has ever happened, you know, you know that strange feeling of walking into a, a situation and I parked my Jeep here last night. <laughs> Where'd it go? 
And it, we, we found it, called the police. They finally found it. Some kids had stolen it for a joyride. Had busted the lock mechanism out of the steering column, and it would start without a key. All you had to do was get in and just turn the, turn the tabs on the side of the columns. It would start up and take a stupid kid and didn't even try it. Busted its pieces. But the, when you felt, when, those, when that's happened to you, you feel violated. You feel, how dare somebody come and take my stuff that's not, that doesn't belong to them. But you and I have all been violated spiritually by an enemy that seeks to, as John 10.10 10 says, a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He, he's violating your mind and your heart every day if we believe the crap that he's trying to pour into us that says, you can't trust the scripture. You can't trust, the, you can't trust these stories. I mean, they're, they're, they're great and exciting stories and bring people to church out on Easter. And, but that can't really be true, can it? You don't really believe that, do you? I mean, you've got to have some faith to believe something like that. He'll violate us every day in our mind if we allow that to happen because he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Here's my question for you as we wrap up, and that's this. What needs resurrected in your life? What in your life needs resurrected? Is it your joy that's been stolen away? Is it your passion for what you do? Has that been stolen away? Is it your marriage that needs to be restored and redeemed, refreshed? A career that you've lost the passion for? What needs to be resurrected? How about your attitude that used to be half full and now it's more empty than full? What about your ability to forgive, your desire to give, to serve, to love? What needs resurrected in your life today? Uh, this, it, it's a pertinent question for each of us because the enemy will, as I said, steal, kill, and destroy those things never to be resurrected again according to his truth and not ours. Well, here's my challenge as we wrap. I want to challenge you to claim the victory that's yours. The victory that's yours in an empty tomb, in a living Savior, in an absolute truth. I want you to claim the victory that's yours. How? Pick up his word, grab it, feed on it, chew on it, eat it, live it, walk it out. Pick up his word and go take it back. Go take the resurrected things back. Go take the truth back. Go take your joy back. Go take your marriage back. Go take those things back from the enemy. Take them back from a culture that wants, to, wants you and I to believe you, you guys are just marginalized. Stay in your churches on Sunday, but don't bring that stuff into our culture. Don't bring these truths into our world. Let's take the joy back. Let's take the things that have been stolen from us and, 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 uh, and resurrect those things in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our careers, in our families, and live like these kinds of truths matter because they do. They're true. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, today, whatever it is that needs to be resurrected in our hearts and in our minds or in our marriages or in our careers or in our families or in our attitudes, whatever needs resurrected in us today, would you point the finger at that even now as we pray? Would you reveal those things to us so that our hearts resonate with your heart to say, yes, that's true. Those things do need to be resurrected. I need to seek out and search for and live in absolute truth. I do indeed, indeed need, to, need to go and tell my story. Tell the story of how the gospel story has changed my story and I'm eternally different because of it. Those in my world need to know that story. They need to know those truths. 
and he's lived them and walked them out. Father, stir those things up in us today so that we have the courage to get up, grab your word, and go claim back the things that have been stolen from us. Joy, satisfaction, a sense of contentment, a sense of direction, passion, purpose. Let's take those things back from the enemy that will incrementally, day after day, just gnaw away and gnaw away and gnaw away until the, the joy and those things that we believed once, once upon a time are gone. Help us, give us the courage to, to, to take those things back, to resurrect those things today in our hearts, in our homes, in our worlds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.